Alrighty then. Hello. Welcome to this. The Red Bull Podcast. Risk made me do it. New brand name. Brand new name. New brand name. Same thing. <laughs> new logo. You can still find us, though, in the iTunes store. You can find us on our uh, host network, uh, Acast. I'm your host, Andreas Georges. We're still talking to top performers in the worlds of adventure, sports, culture, uh, tech, and innovation. We're trying to understand their their path to mastery, the risks they took on their path, and, and hoping that we can recalibrate your own perspective of, of what risk is by uh, showing what, what it did for these top performers. Um, this week, we got a, a super interesting guy. Uh, Mike Bazage was a former pro snowboarder uh, back in the heydays of uh, snowboarding. In fact, if you listen to last week's preview podcast, you uh, heard him talk a little bit about uh, his uh, his pioneering work in action selfies. He was kind of the first guy to do that um, by building mounts and, and popping 35-millimeter cameras in them and jumping off massive jumps and clicking the shutter as he jumped. So uh, definitely check that out if you haven't already. This week, we're diving deeper into his off-the-grid living philosophy um, about... Uh, Four or five years ago, he bought 40 acres of land in Lake Tahoe, and upon that, he built his own house. It's about 200, 300 square feet. Um, He built it with his own hands, um, lugging rocks around, um, shaping it. Um, There's a very, very interesting, like, look to it. It it doesn't have a bathroom, by the way, but it's got, like, a a small kitchen hot plate. It's got incredible, beautiful windows that look out onto this, like, picturesque Sierra landscape. Um, his path to that point uh, was very interesting because it's it's very circuitous and 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 there's several pivot points. But but really the main thing with Mike is that um, he does things with his hands and he's creative with his hands as well. And he believes that the true path to creativity doesn't involve you know sweat equity in the way that Silicon Valley guys refer to it, but but actual sweat. Um, so he's a real do-it-yourself guy. Um, we talked to him a lot about, you know, the benefits of off-the-grid living. We talked to him about what it took for him to to choose this lifestyle, the risk he took on that path, and um, you know, it's a it's a real interesting conversation. All right, check it out. Mike, thanks for coming down. Obviously, yeah. very very appreciative of that long journey from Sacramento. Uh, from the wilds of Sacramento, I should say, outside of Sacramento, almost. <laughs> uh, but we'll get into that. You own a uh, forty acres of property in Tahoe, uh, yeah. up- upon which you've built a self-sustainable house um, by yourself, yeah. l- lugging rocks around in the in the old way. Um, yeah, yeah. It's been um, it's been a huge long project. Uh, how long in in all, by the way? Uh, well, my two hundred and thirty square foot house took yeah. me five years. Right. And it's literally, it's picking up rocks, moving them, mixing cement. Yeah. The, I, the place I got, yeah. I bought it with raw land. It actually, I bought it with snow on it. So I didn't even know what it actually looked like. Was that the smartest decision in retrospect? Um, it was the most exciting. <laughs> well, you're a snow being, so I suppose. Yeah. It, I mean, I, I got it in December. So I had the whole winter to experience what the winter was like. Right. And I, I put up a teepee just to be up there for the winter. Right. And it was kind of like uh, unraveling a Christmas present because as the snow melted, I realized I had waterfalls and all these boulders and just all this 
there's a lake I didn't even know about. Yeah. So it was, it was really fun just to dive into something that um, I wasn't exactly sure how it was all going to work out. But being there for at least a year, I got to understand how the weather worked, you know, the snowpack and the, the wind was a huge importance to understand how that works. So yeah. that helped me pick my materials, like the rocks. I was like, okay. I should build my house out of rocks. There's a lot of it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's maintenance free. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, and for you, it fulfilled a childhood dream. So at what point did you um, decide to make the dream a reality? At what point did you really decide to go down this path? It was, uh, I was 33. Okay. And it was kind of a time in my life where snowboarding, my whole snowboard career was meeting a point where I wanted to intertwine the things I didn't get to do because of snowboarding. Because I traveled a ton, just being on the road, it was like, okay, I need to ground myself. And how do I do that? Like, I looked around a little bit on different other options, just buying a condo and just calling it simple. Yeah. But I realized if I want to do any of my dreams as a child, which was to build my own house, my own two hands, I was like, this is my time in my life with my timing. I'm physically able to do this. And uh, it kind of just, just, I made the decision, like, do I want it to be a reality in this lifetime? And, uh, I, I just kind of went for it. I gave everything I, I had towards it. Was there a, was it, were there doubts in your mind at that point? No, I just, the, the feeling of the love I have for workmanship, this building stuff okay, was going to lead me somewhere. I didn't know what it was, but I knew. Where, where did that come from, by the way? Part of my growing up, just building tree houses. I went to a Waldorf school, which is a lot of hands-on, like baking bread, doing things yourself. How old do you start with baking bread and, and all that stuff in Waldorf, by the way? It's like third, fourth grade. That's crazy. So yeah. you're like eight years old and you're already kind of doing... Yeah, I think fourth grade you grow the wheat and fifth grade you bake the, the wheat. You, so you, just, you grow the wheat that you bake. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So in my, my parents, I homeschooled for three years. So that was another adventure of just doing something that really wasn't... Um, common mm -hmm. wasn't exactly accepted accepted in the world like homeschooling was you didn't, you didn't get a certification that you went to school so there were certain things that i like i couldn't go out and play on the street during school hours because it wasn't you know someone's asked why isn't this kid in school so there's certain things that my family pushed to to do that was kind of my own way of learning I, just, okay. I learned everything i did pretty much by doing it and uh, that's kind of been my way of learning. Like reading a book, I can read it, but I don't get as much as I could if I just went and did it. Interesting. And so that's been my exchange of how I take on things, I guess you could say. It's like I'm willing to figure it out. Yeah. If I fail, that's fine. It's actually, you know, that's part of the process. Yeah, yeah. Is to uh, educate yourself with uh, whatever it is you want to do. Yeah. How much, you know, there's there's people who do a lot of planning. There's people who do tons of research. Uh, before they jump into something with you, was it was it that or was it kind of let me just try it and I'll figure it out along the way? Um, as a child, I kind of always just dove in. And as I get older, I realize, you know, what you're talking about. A lot of there are a group of people out there that make plans and you need that on some level if you're going to go hire someone to do something. Right. So they can follow the instructions. Um, for me personally, if I see a blueprint of plans, I, uh, it looks like it already got built to me. And so the whole like excitement of natural instinct to, to meet the project in itself, to give it that magic life and, and kind of change with it. Yeah. That's my, been in my experience of how with the cabin, you know, you take on something, you start with a little bit of a structure of idea. You know, my house is built into the Pentagon, the golden ratio. And as far as the walls and how everything else came together was within the day of doing it. 
So, sorry, what's the golden ratio? The golden ratio is a combo. Uh, it's quantum physics, um, but it's a very old mathematical ratio that nature, um, a lot of old architect is built on it. And the math, math of it is you always add the last two numbers to get the next number. So you start with one, one, you get two, two plus uh, one is three. Yeah, two, yeah. It goes on. And so that's the, the pi. You know, Da Vinci like, explained that very well in his lifetime. And uh, the reason well, I, I wanted to do it with the building is you walk in the room and you feel just it fits the body better, or at least it feels that way because you're built into the same math. Interesting. So how to describe your place up there, by the way, for those of us who don't haven't visited, which yeah. is the vast majority, I'd say. Um, it's uh, very simple, uh, very earthly of rock. Uh, feels very solid. Yeah. And um, Hobbit-like? Little Hobbit, but yeah. a little more reaching out to the world feeling, like right. not like down downward feeling. Opening up the Shire to everybody, really. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of walk in. And Shire modern. Walk into a big, thick metal wood door and... It opens up to half the walls are all glass facing south. And so that the way I shaped the place was with the weather. You know, with the south facing is like you wake up with the sun, it warms the place up. So these there's different elements that make you work less to stack firewood. All right. these things can help you have live a better life depending on how you build and shape structure. So my place is very small. Um, I used to have a huge house and I realized I spend most of my time outside and want to. Yeah. And so it's 200 and something square feet. Um, the walls are anywhere from three feet to two feet thick. And uh, it's mostly all rock from uh, 200 feet uh, in distance. And it's perched upon this actually huge mountain of rocks. And uh, I get to look at a couple of resorts uh, in the distance. And I get to watch the weather come from the Bay Area and hit the Sierras. And just we get the most amount of snow out of all of, I think, California. This year, we got 58 feet of snow. Up at Donner Ski Ranch, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so it's been uh, it's fun. It's been hard. It's not been all easy. Um, In what sense? Uh, just working with the snow. That's okay. been, because my building season is only literally like three to four months in the summer. Yeah. And uh, in the beginning, I had a smaller snow cat that I'd get up, because I'm three miles off of plowed road. And so anything you want to bring up, you got to do that with a snow cat or a snowmobile. Yeah. Um, and the whole process, of, and actually reason why I wanted to do this was just to get closer to my own uh, responsibility for my own needs and to live life. Yeah. That was a big adventure with this part. Is just I want to have appreciation. And the, my way of doing that is to do it myself. And so, like, carrying water from the creek to mix with cement, just all these things that is down to hardship yeah. gave me a, a better perspective and working with the elements that what I need. So like my electricity is super low as far as the investment. Cause I just, I go to bed with the sun, you know, wake yeah. up with it. And the water, you know, it's, you're very, con I'm more conservative with it because of how much hard it is. You know, water is seven something pounds per gallon. And, you know, we're all used to just turn on the faucet, take a shower. And, you know, when you got to haul that water and move it yourself or capture it, and make it not freeze all these steps are just down to i think getting more real with the element is that i mean that that's that's really interesting because you didn't have that life before right it's like not not that people have this impression of you as kind of being this lone wolf isolated you know build building hermit so to speak <laughs> out in the backwards uh you you were an international pro snowboarder you flew around you um 
partied, you yeah. had a great, I mean, what about that life wasn't great? I mean, it sounds pretty amazing, <laughs> especially, especially at the time you were doing it, which was really the nineties, right? Which is kind of when snowboarding had no rules. It was brand new kind of a deal. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's definitely exciting time and life. I, you know, don't, I'd miss it, but I don't. Cause mm-hmm. I feel like what I was doing, I was trying to find myself within the space of what I was doing. So snowboarding was an amazing tool to learn about how people live around the world. And I traveled so far and so much for the best pristine snow. And so after my career coming to a place where I was comfortable with achieving what I wanted to, I realized, okay, I wanna actually just make a place that I can have all the things that I learned and make a homestead out of it and wait for the snow. Yeah. Wait for those perfect days. Yeah. And that's kind of been my journey of also just being in the world and trying to figure out a solution for um, the environment on some level. Like, you know, like whether it's recycling, all this stuff, it's great stuff, but it's hard to understand where to put yourself in the world because we're all so responsible for everything we do. Right. And there's and there's also just, you know, there you have to do something via the environment, right? That message is like that message is like banged into us often and often, but it's very difficult to understand how, right? Or what the little steps are and yeah, you know, that those steps make a difference. Yeah. And I've always believed, you know, if I take care of myself, that's enough. You know, of course you want to go out and help people and make a difference. But I realized I, I need to figure out my own self first within that idea. Right. And have some sort of like understanding of the elements and how they work naturally and then go from there. Yeah. And so I spent a good chunk of my time trying to find that in myself with my cabin project. And then after five, six years, I was like, okay, I think I feel like I'm ready to now start sharing my experience and having people come and see if this is an enjoyable experience, a way of life. I don't understand. Why Why did you need to wait to invite people in? What, what? Yeah, um, I get a little sidetracked, you could say, if I have a group of people being involved yeah. with, um, say, the cabin right. building. Like, I've had certain people come and help. Yeah. But... I work, I, I like silence. Yeah. I like time to be on a, on a rate that I can proceed with just working with whatever I, the idea I'm trying to get to. You know, like with the cabin, I sometimes would sit half the day just looking at where I am, you yeah. know, figuring out where the window should go. And so that kind of stuff takes time, which having other people around, you, you lose the sense of instinct. Yeah. And that's been one of my biggest experience with the cabin is the natural instinct back to the golden ratio Interesting. is your natural instinct you know and everyone's so based on eight foot high ceilings or boards come you know in a certain width and those are for reasons because of shipping but i'm just i like giving myself enough time to meet somewhere in between my myself and the threshold of like the unknown you're kind of deconstructing the modern world or or the the deconstructing kind of the the processes that have shaped you know how we build and and how we live in our society today right so that that's interesting that that your mind goes there yeah i mean i guess that's one of the things i truly believe in is that the natural instinct of a human can be the right one and to do that with clarity you know i think for everybody you gotta let go you know i let go my whole career I like dove into a whole new space and really asked questions like, what is a value to me? What's an indigenous need for me? And that brought me to living more simple, like get rid of all the cars, like Wall Street, like all these investment type of ideas that was going to get me somewhere. But 
for me, I just, I want to know how to like cook myself. I want to know how to survive with what I have in my body and having that, like I can go anywhere and feel comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not that I know how to do everything, but I just have this instinct feeling like, Oh, if my car breaks down, I'm going to pro I'm not afraid to pull the motor apart to figure out how to fix it. Right. And that's my comfort of knowledge. I guess, yeah. Of what yeah. I'm trying to get to. Is and like, it, it runs so contrary to the way we live our, our lives today, right? Where we, we have things like task rabbit and we have like all of these, you know, all of these digital companies cater to doing things for us or getting other people to do things for us. Yeah. That's, it's a big question, right? What I've tried to understand when I have people come up, they really yeah. enjoy the simpleness and, um, like love splitting firewood. And, um, I think part of like technology growth makes life more simple, you know, yeah. makes it more easier so we can do more enjoyable things, but the hardship of a day can be, uh, so valuable. Right. It can be really enjoyable to like push yourself in a hard way. And people, I think, forget building or you know people do it in sports all the time you know they'll run for miles and exhaust their body and you know at the end you have this feeling of acceleration of like victory in yourself and you could do the same with building like you could you could do it by fixing your car there's so many other ways to still experience that adrenaline inner inner strength of uh, yeah victory that that that's my way that i guess i learned in snowboarding just took that in the dove into other other areas with it it's interesting I, i'm gonna uh we're gonna pipe in a question now we told some people you were coming and so they they left some pre-recorded messages so um so here's the first one let's let's have a listen hey um i'm wondering when making a life decision that you know puts you directly at odds with the way the world is evolving how important is trusting yourself and what evidence do you have that you've made the right decision um, <laughs> wow that's a big question <laughs> oh man um and I think that's down to the what what you feel, like what resonates when you go through a process. Like, how do you know that this is the one, the right way? And um, back to like saying like, it's okay to fail. That is very important to know that. Everybody that I've seen come with ideas that they've been thinking about for 10, five years. Um, that's all they're waiting for is someone to say, just, just go do it. And, uh, you know, if, if it doesn't work, it should be, it's fine. You're going to learn something from it. So the decision on what to do or where even to take on childhood dreams are actually yeah. a very key, um, pure idea in a lot of people's lives. Something they had in the really? beginning. Like as we get older, we have all these ideas and all this information come in. Yeah. And so there's a lot of layers of stuff. And so when we're young, we don't have so many layers and so you're, you're bringing yourself out more purely. And so that, I think a childhood dream for everybody is take that in consideration of like, what that is and kind of like work with that a little bit. That's, that's quite amazing actually. Cause you, you basically cracked it. Haven't you? <laughs> that, I mean, that's like, that's a, a harness your childhood dream and make it a re reality. It, you, the layers you were talking about, um, are, are basically, you know, going through life, getting older, getting on the career path, you know, starting to develop your own personal narrative. And I think the toughest thing for people is breaking from that, right? Like feeling that they, are on a certain path and that it's not easy to just pivot away from that. You were a snowboarder, right? A pro snowboarder. You could have, I mean, you're still active, you're still sponsored, but uh, you could have gone on, worked for a company, worked for a brand like Red Bull even, um, you know, in that space, done whatever. Um, 
you chose though to kind of almost like tack away and and go down this this path or this dream that that you had had since childhood was there you know was there a risk element for you in in leaving like a quote-unquote career behind well for us say a snowboard career yeah. you have only so much time at, at your peak right so i started as a competitor you know did fairly well on that and then i moved into this other category that already existed in snowboarding which is kind of like the film career where you get you make yourself in films and you get sponsored for that and that as that kind of went away because that takes a lot of money to actually be in film so at a certain point in my career i i loved the industry so much that i was like okay i need to reinvent myself somehow i need to become something else and to do that i you know for me, in the most exciting way is to do that that's not there yet, that it doesn't exist. And that's kind of when my self-portrait like career started to take off. Like I just wanted to see what was possible in the photography because I've been photographed so much. And there's always this argument like, you know, you're at the top of the mountain about to drop in. You're telling the photographer to go over there instead of over here because you know what you're going to do on the mountain. Right. And, of course, you're working with two imaginations at once to create one image. And uh, it's beautiful work. Um, but I was like, I want to be photographed how I see snowboarding. And so that's, I got down, you know, started soldering wires together for different remotes and had this setup. What year is this, by the way? Uh, this is 99. So there was no smartphone. There's, yeah, there's no smartphone. <laughs> there was no Instagram? There, there's no GoPro. There, there was no GoPro? There's no, like... There was a time before <laughs> all those things? <laughs> this is when you went to the store and, like, this is my idea, like, how do I do it? And they say, oh, but we don't sell anything like well, that. Well, that's just crazy talk. <laughs> so, okay, so so you you actually built it yourself. What yeah. did you build? I had a Nikon, a Nikon camera, and I, li- I lived with a photographer, so I learned a little bit about how cameras worked. And there are certain setups for certain cameras, but the quality to do it wasn't good enough. And so I had these uh, pocket wizards that work for flashes and, like, got a wire, like, to, to go to the camera to fire the, the, the shutter. Yeah. And so it was just more of like just taking the risk on any level of like, because I, I invested six, seven thousand dollars you know into, into camera equipment. And I tried to have someone let me borrow their camera, you know, to just go off a kicker with a follow cam. you know these things are 12 pounds you know of, of steel. And so I ended up taking the risk of just going hucking myself off cliffs with this gear and not knowing really what, what I was going to get, but I knew there was something I wanted to try to capture i mean my parents don't snowboard so i wanted to share my experience you know like the pov view of what, yeah. what i see and feel yeah and um so that kind of took off on a way where i wanted to do it just to see i had these certain images of photos i wanted to do it's just a couple and after i did a couple of them i realized this, there's this whole playground of space that uh, is super exciting and it's, it's a lot of work because you have to each line you had to hike twice you know, you go down or up, set the camera up. And once you're down, you got to go get your gear. So within those times, the clouds can roll in. It can start snowing. Your yeah. lens start to fog or the light changes. And you got to change the aperture so and all this stuff. For you, it was artistic expression. Yeah. But it, it was also control. It was a create. It was creative. like create, create, like having control over your image, having control over how you present your view of snowboarding to the world, not relying on a third, second person for that? Yeah, it was really my own. I was driving the shit myself. Yeah. And it, w- the beauty of it was I owned the photographs. Yeah. So I got to promote myself in any way, whether I gave someone a photograph or charged them at a rate that I wanted. It's a, more of a comfortable thing to, to deal with. And people invited it, 
you know, quite a bit. The magazine part took a, a year, two years for people to realize it was a more of a legit thing. Yeah. And I think my creatives part of that uh, captured enough interest that people were like, oh, that's a beautiful photo. And some of them didn't understand that it was like writer Mike Bassett, photographer Mike Bassett. Right. Exactly. <laughs> that should have been across everything. Well, you did have the epic shot, right? We shouldn't, we shouldn't like right. end this without talking about you um on the cover of i think it was snowboard uk magazine that, was yeah it? that was the the helicopter one the helicopter and it's it's basically an a, you dropping from an impossible distance an impossible height how high up in the world were you in the in the air uh, the drop i think it was about 120 130 feet 120 130 feet from a helicopter onto the side of a mountain yeah, yeah. I waited um, a, a couple of years to do this. I uh-huh. thought I was gonna have to actually go to New Zealand to do it because of all the regulations. But uh, a buddy of mine in Alaska is because like, of the regulation for well the you laws in the you US. can't you can't necessarily <laughs> jump out of a helicopter 130 feet just for the sake of a right, photograph. Just as a you know customer, huh. just walk up and this is what I want to do. Yeah, I wonder why they have those rules. <laughs> yeah, because this is a time when I I didn't really I didn't have too many sponsors and my career was kind of this is my third year taking self-portraits okay so i i right when i started taking self-portraits my i had i lost pretty much all my sponsors why and, um just my i was winding down as like my Got hype it. in my career time okay. was it wasn't related it was oh what's he gonna he's just no one's wanted to invest in me because they figured i had like another year or two left of yeah. filming and so that was where i got it like a little like excited to see what i can do to bring myself back into the sport it, was it also like screw those guys i can do it myself some of my photographs are riding rails, yeah, and those shots are actually a, a bit of that because I I don't like riding rails, you know. I was riding big mountains, yeah. but I, you look through the magazine back then and you're like, okay, seventy percent the shots are park on rails. Yeah, there is like kickers without a mountain in the photo, and there's like five percent of actually a mountain, someone coming down the mountain. And so I was like, oh, I'll build a rainbow rail out of metal, you know, but I'm going to build it my way. So I, I built this huge, you know, rainbow rail. And How big was it? It was about 18 feet tall. 18 feet tall? It was 60 feet of metal curved as a rainbow. So you rode the an, an 18-foot tall rail like as a rainbow. So you, you hucked and then landed and then up and then down on the other end. Yeah, I actually hauled it all the way to Alaska because I, I spent the whole winter trying to find a spot for it and uh, <laughs> ran out of time. So I, I threw it on the top of a uh, RV and yeah. finally found this gravel pit that my friend towed me in with a snowmobile and uh, did it. And it was, yeah, it was, those were the moments that I was like, you know, I want to, get a photo in the magazine like yeah. I, just, I can still do this so my creativity was a bit of like yeah competitive wanting to make it happen and then the other part was just this open space that i just i was having so much fun with yeah that all these ideas started to flow in with the helicopter drops like my original idea with the helicopter drop was to this is back in slide 35 millimeter days there's no yeah. digital yet there's still photoshop the computer working but right. i wanted to make a photo look impossible and so the idea was to have a frame without the helicopter in the shot and there's this person just falling out of the sky so there'd be no cliff that he could jump off or it needed to be big enough that it wasn't like a quarter pipe hit and so that was my goal that's why it had to be big and that was kind of a yeah a two-year project that i was like i wanted to do it how'd you convince the helicopter guy the owner of the helicopter service, I knew well, and he's like, I told him the idea. He's like, sure, 
we'll make that happen. Really? And so I drove to Alaska. Because he trusted you or because I think something just, in your pitch did it or what? No, no, it was a 30-second conversation on the phone. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he's like, yeah, we'll make it happen. And it was funny because I, I didn't have much of a budget. So it was me, a filmer that I brought, yeah. and we shared it with two skiers, the helicopter. Yeah. And as we're flying around the first lift, yeah. The, the pilot, our, our guide's like, oh, Mike's going to like look for a lane. He's going to jump out of the helicopter. And yeah. Both the skiers are like, look over. Like, oh, yeah. Okay. You know, and we, it was hard to fit, pick a spot, mostly because the timing, like a helicopter, money starts flying. So you want to make yeah. your decisions quick. So we landed on the first peak and found actually a beautiful roll okay. of snow because the steeper you get, the less snow you got on it from natural slides. Yeah. So I found a beautiful roll with blue sky in the background. I know I needed a horseshoe mountain range to set up the camera, you know, so I can shoot across. So you set up the camera on another mountain it was it was part of the ridge but it was like curved yeah it was this other peak and how did you so was anyone operating that camera and hitting the shutter no that was a big risk i was like okay i don't so know so you were doing that the, yeah this is the most i've maxed out my remotes it's about probably 800 900 feet away and i, I didn't know if i was going to get the photo or not you know and i didn't really know either after i took it because i don't it was slide film so <laughs> so you and this image is is going to be on our Facebook page, so other people can see it as well as our Instagram. But um, so just so you're literally you fall or no, you don't. Sorry, you don't fall. <laughs> you're a pro snowboarder. You jump out of a helicopter at a hundred and twenty feet, twenty mm-hmm. feet, and you're blindly hitting this button, hoping that a camera eight hundred feet away on another mountaintop is taking the image of you. Yeah, that was my setup. What? <laughs> How did you react when you when you saw the image then? My reaction when I saw the photo was actually probably how I should have felt when I did it. Because <laughs> when I when I did it, I was yeah. is this is the one promise I made myself when I set this whole thing up. I was like, I'm not gonna pressure myself, and that, that's why I didn't invite a bunch of photographers, film crew. I was like, I wanted to be simple. If yeah. I don't want to do it, you know, I don't want to do it. Yeah. And so I was just in the zone when I felt it, and I could see the you know myself doing what I was about to do. So I, the the one struggle with the helicopter jump was that. Uh, the down pressure, the, the wind from the blades. So I actually got going faster than gravity. And so I hit the, the snow pretty hard. But you landed two, it. Two, three. No, I did not land it. I, uh, I I buried myself actually in the snow. Oh. Yeah, I got covered. <laughs> oh. Was there any lasting damage for that? Did you get injured at all? Or No. No, yeah. I, it was kind of one of those things that I felt like I snowboarded all day afterwards. I feel like you should at this point do like a kids don't try this at home public service message um how (laughs) how risk you know how much pre-planning did you do for that for that very risky endeavor in terms of finding your landing spot oh that's a bad question Um. okay okay well so we'll just assume the worst and move on and and just say kids don't try this at home what was the reaction to that shot what Um, did people think the people's reaction was a mix some people thought it was a publicity stunt you know just because it was so big and possibly unlandable yeah and other part people thought it was you know fake it wasn't real yeah and so it was it was interesting to hear the stories because i didn't come forward with a full story it just i just kind of put the photo out there and like you wanted people to speculate almost I, yeah i just let, I, I like people making up whatever they feel with whatever it is i do do you think that was a good decision um, or did it bother you the reaction it, it didn't bother me but a lot of the my story like came into this oh i didn't know it was that big yeah you know, because it, it turned into like, oh, how are you going to land it anyway? Like, why'd yeah. you do it? That's not snowboarding. Yeah. You know, I'm like, well, I'm on a snowboard. I'm not calling it snowboarding. It's just creative photography. 
Yeah. And that yeah. was more what I was trying to do with my career, just what, what, bringing what, creativity. But sum it up then. What did you want to get across with that photo? Just something that was artistic enough that looked bizarre. Just And I knew it was possible in my body as far as, like, I mean, I didn't write it all down or sit down with an engineer or anything. Like, yeah. is this possible? But Coming back to this idea of just doing it, right? Like yeah. this kind of... But also, like, this, this giving yourself your the space if you don't want to do it. If it doesn't feel right, you know, I'm not going to do it. You know, and today, you know, there's people jumping off 200-foot cliffs, you know, on, on skis. You know, right. skiing and snowboarding is a really different thing when you hit the snow. But um, I, just, I wanted to, yeah, feel what that was for myself. And the photography part, I was really excited. When I got the photo developed, yeah, I, I got the shakes. I, I, I shook for actually a couple months every time I look at the photo. And was this... Uh... Was this kind of a, a pivot point in your career for you or was it or was this kind of the at least the creative photography we were doing at this point? Was it did the, it kind of reaffirm something to you? It got me outside of snowboarding. Uh, the photo brought a different audience to what I was doing and uh, I didn't really expect that. Um, it was hard because that the, that crowd made it was more of a um, death wish thing. It's like FHM ran it in their mag and some porno mags in Europe ran it. Like, it's the weird category. Talk like, about a weird bizarre. audience. <laughs> I don't know if that's <laughs> yeah. the new audience you're necessarily after, Mike, but I'm not. Yeah. right on. <laughs> it was funny because I didn't yeah. even know what these magazines were. They're like, oh, well, want to yeah. run it. And I get the thing in the mail, like, oh. <laughs> it's like it arrives like heavily wrapped in like black yeah. paper. And the, yeah. 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 Um, I've heard of people who subscribe to those magazines that how they arrive. Uh, so you know about it. I, I don't know personally. <laughs> I've heard of people. Mike. But uh, so, so, okay. So from that point to, it, you, you made the realization, okay, there, there's a new audience I can go. There, there's kind of a new direction here. This feels right to me. Yeah. It, after the helicopter photo, like in snowboarding, as far as my career where it went, I was able to pitch myself as a packaged idea. And so I had the photography known enough that people liked what I did. And so when I would go to a company and say, oh, you want to sponsor me? They're like, oh, we don't have a budget. I'm like, okay. Like, what about your photography budget, your marketing budget? Like, I'll supply photos of your team riders. We'll go on a trip and I'll be an athlete and shoot photography. And you can have these photos as well. So that's that's how I kept my career going. Because that was a category that yeah. wasn't there yet. Yeah. And it, it took a while to make people think and realize on, on paper it makes total sense for them. Like, as far as the punching yeah. the numbers. But it took him a while to figure out that you could actually do this. Yeah. 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 And, yeah. and there was only certain people that were like, I'm, I want to have you do this. Like Mark yeah. Sullivan was actually a big investor in my career. And he was, uh, he worked with Snowboard Mag, Snowboard Magazine for a while, or Snowboard. And then uh, he worked for uh, Scott Goggles. Okay. And so I shot a photo shoot with Jeremy McGrath and Tim Ferry on motocross. We did the same thing I was doing in snowboarding, just strapped this huge camera you know, to McGrath. He was the only one actually wear the thing. And I followed Tim Ferry up in the air. So we got these amazing photos, you know, like the POV, like what everybody feels that adrenaline moment and wants to share that. So I started to branch out a little bit out of snowboarding with, with uh, jobs. And so when GoPro came around, were you like, shit, I should have done that? <laughs> no. I, I mean, of course they went huge. And it's like, me personally, I was like, so stoked someone finally did it. Someone finally cracked it. Yeah. Because you, you didn't want to develop the tech and build the company to do it. Oh, no. I wasn't going to dedicate 10 years of my life to just sitting down and, like, doing one thing. You know, and then that's Nick. You know, it was like, he dedicated his life to it, you know, and 
it created a beautiful space in the world for people to to do this at a level that you don't have to invest eight grand. What do you think? Yeah, what do you <laughs> think of this this world where GoPro and and selfies and all of that dominates so much of our social discourse? Um, you know, on the one hand, you're able to share your view of the world in a way that's as seamless and easy as as it's ever been. On the other hand, it's feeds narcissism (laughs) (laughs) right you know yeah i mean everybody loves sharing what they do right you know gopro allowed that to do that and i don't miss carrying a 40 pound backpack on my back you know i love having something that's a half a pound the one thing i do miss when i i made a book of all my photographies for of 15 years it's called the the frozen chase and looking through all i did this a couple years ago and uh looking through all my photos I, i realized Back in 35 millimeter days, everything is so much more artistic. And I think because it just, there's, there was so much more put into it. There was a lot more hardship put into that time. And the GoPro makes things so much easier. You know, you just start firing sure. photos. Yeah. Um, and so I know the quality people, rises yeah, as well, you, right? Just the, the whole digital world has done that to people where like they just take a bunch of photos and, you know, like when they pick up a 35 or a Polaroid camera, they take one photo, you know, yeah. and it's beautiful. It's like they put so much more time into the, this waiting for that moment. And so th- those are the moments I miss and see the difference. You mean the work that goes into creating that that moment of beauty when you do get that moment. Yeah, and I think that goes for anywhere across the board, whether it's a camera, you build a house, anything you do, if it's easy, there's not that much creativity. Like You don't put much energy into it. You just start doing it without thinking too much about it. And so this is back to like the hardship into your day. If you put a lot of your heart into something, you're going to get something that has more of something to it that puts it aside from the easy process, say, shooting self-portraits today. You know, it's, there's just different elements that happen within that energy. And part of it is hardship. I want to throw out there, there's another part of risk. And I'm not talking about ability in the body, but just cost risk. Like I did a shot a few years ago with a drone riding holding on to the drone and then halfway down the mountain like letting go of it and that is a combination of taking risk with equipment because you know these things do certain things and you're trying to compact or take it to a different level and not everybody's always willing to take the the risk and that from my experience as far as my career that that's a a key element and uh, i like surrounding myself with people that truly enjoy just seeing what happens and not worry about the result too much, whether like you blow up the car or crash your drone. Like, as long as it doesn't put you like in debt where you can't crawl out. Yeah. You know, like the tiny home industry, I have so many people coming to me like, this is what I'm thinking. I'm like, go build a doghouse. You know, understand how wood feels, how it works with warps. A two by four is not two by four inches. It's actually one and a half by three and a half inches. Like, just get to know things and do it at a, at a level that you're okay of failing because you you've actually built a mobile tiny home yeah that you're doing that you're you've taken into alaska is that it yeah yeah i built one of of the standard like trailer style Mm -hmm. and uh, i took it to alaska Um, that was actually the drone project i was just telling you about i got to stay up there long enough to get my window for what i wanted to do there and uh, i recently just sold that whole setup with my truck and i bought a nether version of everything compacted that I've learned, which is a Fuso box truck. 
type of thing. What's a Fuso box? It's kind of like what Red Bull uses for the delivery trucks. Okay. It's like the flat front, yeah. the little box in the back. Yeah. And uh, I built my own little tiny house in the back. Side folds down to the deck, and the other side slides out. And I got a bathtub and a trap door. And the beauty of it is why well, I did this one was because it fits in a parking spot. And uh, so I can come down here, park on the beach, yeah. and uh, you know, the trailer with the trucks, beautiful, but it's it's hard figure out how to move or maneuver in big cities it's fun to live life on your own terms isn't it it is <laughs> <laughs> hold on we we got uh we got one more question hold on let me uh let's get this queued up because uh yeah and then i want to come back to that so i'm pretty sick of the city life i've lived in new york i've lived in la i want to move out of the city into something a little bit unknown what's your biggest piece of advice that you'd give me i would say the biggest piece of advice would be to figure out what you can live without, you know, like internet, Netflix, all these things that are maybe important to some people, but trying to simplify things. Um, learning about the law is also a big part of it. If you're living close to a city that has eyes on tiny homes and, you know, alleyways and like living on property that you're not supposed to be on, it all happens. You know, it's all out there. Um, and it's all, it's a little bit just trying to get a feeling of what you're comfortable with. You know, you can do it all legit, but it's also it takes time and uh, investment. So depending on your investment um, is how you'd go about living off the grid. You know, like living off the grid is not a legit thing as far as on paper for a county. So, right. um, you know, people live in sheds. That's what they call them, you know, but it's not a residence. And so there's different loopholes. And that's why the tiny home movement has become so big because it's not to do with the county. It's to do with the DMV part. There's a whole different paperwork for it. Got it. And they don't really work together yet. Um, and that's why, yeah, people are just splitting and, you know, not having a mortgage anymore. And these are the things are that you kind of want to write down or just what's important to you and what you're not, what, what you're willing to let go of. You know, do you not want a mortgage? So like, okay, am I willing to live in my car? You know, what that, what does that look like? Does that look like a tiny house? Is there, is there something you let go of that you kind of wish you had back? Or you're you're missing? No, the, the the probably the only thing is I wish I did some of the things I do now, back you know twenty years ago. Like I, I bought a van, lived in the van for chasing storms half of the year, but just to understand that I could build it as a house, like that, like my tiny house with the trailer. Like I wish I had it when I was in my twenties. You know, I had something, but I had all the ability to know how to build something like that. I just didn't process the idea. You know, someone did. You know, and it became more and more of a legit thing to, as it is today. Mike, thanks so much for coming by. Yeah, Appreciate th it. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you to Mike Bazich for coming in, flying in from Sacramento for that one. Thank you to Oliver Holtzman um, at Red Bull for providing the connect in the first place. First name James has been our engineer. He's the first name in podcasting. Uh, our producer is T. Rizza. Associate producer Ryan the Turbo Thurbin, and of course the rest of the Pod Squad. Check us out on Facebook. We got a we got a Red Bull podcast page called the Red Bull Podcast. Strangely enough, on Facebook. Um, also tune in next week. Uh, we got a great preview podcast for a guest um, that we have in a couple weeks' time. Her name is Kim Chambers, and she is one of the top open water swimmers in the world. And next week she recounts her story of swimming through uh, jellyfish-infested waters and uh, how she almost died completing one of the most uh, impressive athletic endurance feats uh, in the world, the Ocean 7. Um, it's a real good one. All right, I'll see you next time. Oh,